You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, your host and uh, co-founder of UserWise. Uh, today, uh, yeah, I have Francisco. And Francisco, I've been looking forward to this one for uh, a, a quite a while. Um, you know, game economy design is something that is becoming more and more near and dear to my heart. I, I'm just coming to realize how important Important it is to have your economy correct before anything else in the game works. Um, and so I'm, I'm just really excited to be able to dive into uh, everything uh, game economy today. And uh, hopefully we can all, all learn a lot together. But uh, before we do that, uh, I'd love to have you just share a little bit about your background, what you do, how you got into uh, gaming and where you're at today. Hey Tom, thanks a lot for, for having me here. That's uh, first of all. And then my, my gaming story is, uh, yeah, quite long, I would say. I started playing video games when I was four years old. So, yeah, my, my father brought me a family game that was this kind of a cheap copy of a Nintendo, right? So I started with yeah. that. And uh, I was playing mm -hmm. it for four years. And when I was, I would say, 10 or 11, I, I saw a TV show where they actually said that this uh, play testing thing it was actually a thing, you know, like testing games and they kind of tasks. I say, yeah. okay, I was 10, 10 or 11. And I say <laughs> to my parents, I want to do this, you know, and to my friends. And and my friends tell me, but you are dreaming, you know, this doesn't exist, this kind of stuff, like studies seem more normal and, and all these kind of, uh, of things. Um, and at the end, when I was 15, um, I entered in a MMORPG that we have in Argentina, it's free. So I was, uh, it was not the real shop, let's say, not a paid shop, but I was working there for, for, I would say five or, or yeah, four or five years. Uh, great game, by the way. I, I knew my my wife in in that game, so yeah, it's like very emotional for me. And awesome. after that, um, I was uh, hired, in fact, in GameBluff uh, because uh, one guy that was working in in this game, Argentum Online, was also uh, working in GameLoft, and he brought me into the playtesting part of GameLoft. And then, well, the long, long story in GameLoft, I changed changed country three times and that kind of stuff. But I, all in all, I have been balancing games for the last 18 years, and this is what I what I enjoy the most. And uh, yeah, I, I love games. It's there, as I told you, you know, a big part of of my life at the end. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's a great story. Well, I'm really happy to have you here today. So um, to get started, game economy design. What is that? Okay, okay. Since you cheat me, cheat on me with, with Caitlin Kate, <laughs> uh, on the last podcast, and uh, by the way, very, very nice uh, podcast and stuff, I will change a bit the, the answer I will have given, right? So I will still define first game, what is more a game economy designer than game economy designer, right? More on the position and our lives uh, day to day. And the romantic answer will be that we are the guardians of the long-term retention and monetization, right? I will expand a bit more on, on that. But um, I say this because sometimes the position is not the easiest one to be in, right? We, we are a lot of times trying to 
to fight uh, internal management or things to don't go to short term, you know, money and this kind of stuff and try to to make something bigger than that, right? We're always uh, the guy saying, okay, I have this system in my mind right now. How would it look in three years or this kind of stuff, right? And uh, or more, you know, it could be more. Um, so this is a romantic way of of, of saying what is a, a game economy designer. Uh, but then going a bit into a lower level, um, there are several things that uh, we do. There are four big pillars that we, well, yeah, I I put in the in the company. Let's say what we focus on, and is uh, of course the first one is balancing and system design, right? Mm -hmm. This is the, the the core of the position. Um, it has a lot of different layers, right? So when you start as a junior, it's a different thing than when you are a senior. So it, it's really really deep. The career of a, of a game economy designer, uh, but this is what we like to do the most, right? Uh, making system, making balancing, seeing data, and seeing how how they work, and and have a lot of surprises <laughs> a lot of times. Not <laughs> yeah, most of the times not uh, not nice, you know. Sometimes say, okay, I'm pretty sure this will work, and then you see a result and say, okay, okay, <laughs> let, let's backtrack and see what happened. Then, of course, the link to that, uh, the second pillar I would say for, for the GDs for, for us is uh, analysis. So analyze a lot of data, right? So it's a full loop when you just create a feature, you you mm -hmm. launch it, you, well, you balance first, then you launch it, then you analyze it and iterate. So it's a very iterative job. Um, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's a very interesting loop to, to follow. Then, and this uh, is where I start with the surprises, probably <laughs> for maybe new sheets that are coming into, into this podcast. Uh, communication and leadership is another <laughs> big axis of the position. Yeah, because we tend to believe, yeah, you know, game economy designers are these guys that are in, in capes <laughs> making the balancing and stuff, and, and they brought us the result and the stuff, but it's not true. We, we make a lot of efforts in, in, in our company to teach this kind of stuff because at the end you can have a mm. really nice design and if you cannot sell it internally and externally right it, it, mm. it, it, it worth nothing right so uh, we make a lot of things and of course leadership the more senior you are the more mentorship we push on, on GDs at the end a big part of this is uh, is uh, actually teaching and sharing knowledge with mm. other people right so this part and then the last one tools of course as uh, in every company uh, we are big fans of uh, Excel, of course, right? He's our best friend. I have uh, eco tables for everything in my life, even you know, for my personal life, cost of yeah. the month, and all these kind of things. Um, but then, yeah, we, we have uh, a lot of other things that is pushing, you know, for getting importers and all these kind of things that will help you to make your life easier in, in your shop and especially to commit less mistakes. So these, I will say, are the four pillars of, uh, of being a game economy designer, at least in game love, because I know there are certain variations here and there. Yeah. So over the years that you've been in this, have you ever run into any like misconceptions or like, you know, people think you do one thing, but that's not actually the case or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I will say that as I told you before, this is one very complex position uh, in that regard because it tends to be in the middle of everything. And when you are in the middle of everything, it's hard to know who you know is uh, above you and this kind of stuff. So um, I will say that misconceptions, I will uh, divide it in 
two different things, right? One is toward the position from people that is not in the position, right? So sometimes you have, uh, as I told you before, you know, they, some people believe that the GD is some, someone that you just drop a design, you say, okay, <laughs> execute this. Uh, it's a magical box, you know, so that, that comes with, with, with results and, and, and that's it. Uh, that may work with junior GDs at the end because this is more the scope of a junior GD, but when you go into a higher seniority, uh, it's very beneficial to have the game economy signers involved from the very beginning, right? Because at the end, uh, the process of being a good game economy designer is committing a lot of mistakes, right? So this gives you a kind of sixth sense on, you know, potential problems that you can catch here and there. I remember when I was um, the main game economy designer in the game of New York, the lead game designer used to call me the doom bringer. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so they will send me a design and I will be the, the one saying, okay, this is sign will break here, 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 <laughs> and we will use it to rework it. So uh, it's very funny interactions, but yes, this is um, one of the scenes, right? The second will be, uh, this is this is the one that I will, I will go to say now, is disappearing over the years. I believe it will reappear, and I will explain a bit why, uh, but it's, I make this game, please monetize it, right? This kind of thing of, uh, hi, this is it. <laughs> make money now and as you talk when and i Kathleen, uh, insisted a lot on this right it doesn't work that way if you don't have monetization and economy from the very beginning in mind it won't work and that's it so right now i will say that uh, at least for us game economy centers are involved from the very beginning but i see as uh, as industry let's say uh, when more premium companies are going into more hybrid models or more free-to-play models that GDs are migrating to our previously premium companies that they will go again through this process, you know, of, uh, okay, monetize my game. Okay, no, <laughs> let's go step by step. Let's work together and, and this kind of stuff. Um, then, and this one is one of the most complex ones, I will say. Um, and, and I will make you a question here, Tom. Tom, yeah. a game economy designer. Is more a game designer? Is more on design or is more in product? If you have to say. What would you say the difference is between design and product? Because I okay. feel like I feel like design can be like different things. So you've got like your system design and then you've got like your UA or UI feature type design. I think you mean system design, right? Yes. And then product is actually like the implementation of the stuff. No product is more, um, well, you, you are very clever on this answer, you know, because you, you bring it back to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, what you say is the very point of the, of the phone conflict a lot of time, right? Design sometimes tends to be perceived as, um, yeah, the, the features themselves, right? And, and the, then the economy is still on design, but then when you start to monetize it, it starts being on product and they have stuff. Uh, the answer, and in fact, the question was tricky, you answered pretty well, <laughs> uh, is uh, they are both. GDs are in both sides. And it really depends on what are you working on, right? So as you define, if you're making a system, you will probably be on the more on the design side of, of things. If you are working on balancing or designing new time-limited events or, or more in the live ops part of it, you will probably go to product, right? A bit more. So there are a lot of conflicts in this, and who is the manager 
of the game economy designer, right? Is the product manager or is the lead game designer? My honest answer to everyone that has this question is, is a collaboration between, <laughs> right? Don't try to push the responsibility on the other. It's, it depends on the moment and you have very different profiles of, of, uh, of game economy designers, right? There are a lot that are very, very into monetization and there are others that are very, very into design. It really depends. And I know, in fact, companies uh, where friends work, where the, depending on the team or the project, the manager is one or the other. So yeah, don't try to force an structure there. It will work with collaboration as everything else in, in the game. And then the last one towards the position from people that's not in the position is uh, this uh, modeling thing, right? Sometimes we believe that the game economy designers come with a magical model that you can put everything and they will give you exactly what you want. And they will tell you, yes, this player in, in this game will be level 15 in three days and a half, you know, and we'll buy this, 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 yeah. and that. Yeah, that sounds uh, great. That's what I want. Don't tell me that you yeah. can't do that. <laughs> we cannot. We cannot. Yeah, yeah. Sadly, we cannot. Um, and it's because of uh, different reasons. In fact, one of the things, as you talk with almost everyone in this podcast, is that the, the population you have in your game is not homogenic, right? You have really different profiles <laughs> here and there. So it's very, very hard to make a model that actually... Uh, becomes reality at the end. So you make a model, you spend a lot of days and stuff, trying to go as low level as you can with so many variables and stuff. You say, okay, I got it. This is the answer, right? For all the lifetime of, of the player. <laughs> then you go to soft lunch, you, you see the reality and say, <laughs> oh my God, so many days <laughs> on this. Uh, and the thing is, uh, the reality of that is that we try to emulate a, a few of these profiles, right? So we put, yeah, of course in Excel and we model, but we don't go that low level, right? So you model something, it, it gets as close as you can probably get uh, to the reality. But the important part of this step is that when you have the, the soft launch data, right? Or any other kind of test you have before, you have something to compare with, mm -hmm. right? So, so you start this process of the construction of what happened, what is happening. So you say, okay, I was expecting this based on all these hypotheses and the users are doing that. What is different from what I thought? And it can be whatever, right? It can be, they are playing more than we expect, they are playing less, they are making less sessions, but longer, a lot of different things you can do. But once you have a baseline, you can compare. So yeah, don't expect magic from it. Uh, I would also love that is the case, but it is not uh, what happens at the end. And now let's go to misconceptions from she is. You know, ourselves <laughs> yeah. when you start when you start the, the, the career, because there are a lot, in fact. It's not only towards uh, us, you know, it's also ourselves make a lot of uh, misconceptions in, in here and there. So, um, you know, the first one would be, yeah, I am the, the owner of the economy and the balancing. I balance this. I already did it. I am done. Give me another task. No, guys. <laughs> the loop is way more complex than, than that. So you will start making the feature. You will balance it. Then you need to analyze it. You need to make a follow-up. If it works okay, perfect. We are happy. But in three months, you will need to go back to that, right? So these links... Uh, back to the analysis and the tools you have, you need to make dashboards. You know, if you are making analysis that will take you, you know, it will be recurrent. Don't make it once, you know, make a dashboard there, make your life easier. Uh, sometimes it looks a bit slower at the beginning because you actually need to put things in place. 
in the long term, you are always saving time. Uh, so this is one of the things, right? Then second one, I made a perfect system. My Excel is awesome. <laughs> this cannot fail. If it fails, it's the problem of the player or someone else executing this feature. No, guys. <laughs> again, again, you need to be flexible in that regard, and it is not how it works. And the system, it doesn't end on the rules of the system, right? Right now, with uh, free-to-play, and we know, right, you are not paying for a game. So you have big volumes of, of people that will try your game. Like it or not, they will leave it in, in five minutes if you fail. So introductions of systems, UI, UX, is equally important to the actual rules and balancing. And this is something that we are a bit averse, you know, to <laughs> myself, uh, even uh, with time, I had to push myself to go more in UI and UX. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not that we, we don't like them itself, it's more that we sometimes we lack of the skills, you know. So you see, you, you know, two UIs, you understand the system, machine, you say, okay, this game <laughs> is great. And then when you see from another lens, you say, okay, maybe this, this system was not clear and it makes sense that people is not understanding it. So this is also um, one area to grow as a GD, that is uh, UX and UI. So yeah, guys, I'm sorry for you. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember one time I was talking to actually another uh, ex-Gameloft uh, game designer, uh, Javier Barnes, yeah. and uh, and he, he mentioned, you know, no matter how good your Excel is, you should always then go test that in the game because it can feel very different. And, you know, while you thought giving them that, like, gold star or something was worth it, you actually play the game and you're like, this is, this, that's all I got? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This, is a, this is a reality. And, and I would say that this is one of the, one of the advantage I have as a game economist. That is I start as a play tester, right? So I'm very, very, very mm. used to do my show and then test it and see how it feels. <laughs> because at the end, this is the important part, right? And as, uh, as Caitlin said also, we mix a lot of behavioral economics into our daily show. And you see that behavioral economics is a lot about perception right not our reality what is your reality and and the perception of the reality may be different and still this one is the one that wins so there is a, a lot to do in that and this is also mandatory and yeah thanks for giving the myself the the, the hint to go in, in that direction the, the shd shop doesn't end in the excel right so you need to make stuff and you really need to play the game and stuff and you need to play the game from a point of view trying it's, it's very hard to do it right but trying to empathize most the more possible the most possible with your audience right so yeah don't play your your game as the Final Fantasy fan that you are, right? Because then all the systems seem to be more or less easy. No, no, play like the guys that you are actually targeting. You know, this is of course it takes time and it takes training to go into that direction, uh, but it is mandatory. Another part that uh, takes some time in in this regard is this capacity you acquire with years to forget what you know about the game, right? Because this is the other thing. It's true. You will start making your economy, you will play your game. But after 50 times of playing your own game, you already know all the secrets, all the stuff, you know, you will move us faster than the normal user. So then the reality check, we have in, in Gamelab, for example, uh, an economy testing department where we set the, the views with our economy. And this is the first reality check we have, right? So it's like, okay, yeah, this is a one hour of gameplay. The guys will move very fast and very engaging. And the guys make this one hour that you were expecting in four hours. I say, okay. 
okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's step back and, and see what actually they are doing, right? And yeah, you have a lot of surprises. So this is also in terms of the position, be ready to rebalance stuff a million times. <laughs> because this is everything, right? So I make my balancing, it's perfect. I can go to the next task. Well, maybe you should leave some time <laughs> because feedback will come and you will need to rebalance a lot of things. Um, and the last one I will say on, on, on this regard is, I need to be a math god to be a game economy designer. Not true, guys. So don't be scared. Uh, of course, you need to be like friendly with numbers and this kind of stuff, but you don't need to be a mathematician to, to do this, right? Uh, in, in most of the cases, we never use very complex formulas, right? And, and at the end, the formulas are all in the internet. I can find a lot of stuff. The important things is to understand what these formulas mean, right? What means to have an exponential progression? When you need to go into a logarithmic one? When you need to create your own one because making just a, a simple formula uh, won't help you, right? And, and all this kind of stuff. But this uh, is not weird magic, you know, that you need to do there. So yeah, don't be scared of, of that part. There is a lot of uh, learning to do for sure uh, in terms of probabilities and this kind of stuff for making loot boxes and this kind of things. But it's fairly friendly, let's say. It's not uh, you need to go to university six years to, to become a GD, right? So yeah, this will be the, the, the last one of the misconception from, from GDs uh, themselves. So let's talk about game law for a second because okay. <laughs> so I know you and I know at least like three other uh, yeah. like amazing game designers, product managers. It seems like all of them started as game economy designers at game law. So what's different there? Like how, how are you guys like training? How are you approaching things? How are you recruiting? Like, cause it just seems like, you're a factory of like making the best game designers and then they, you know, go on to take over the world. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's um, a long process. In fact, right. One of the things is that uh, the world reality for GDs, uh, there is more demand than the actual GDs that are available there. Right. Uh, for a few different reasons. Uh, one of the things is, as you mentioned, you mentioned guys that are actually right, Javier Barnes, Adam, uh, David Andrusiak, all these guys are not GDs anymore, if you check. <laughs> yeah. So this is one of the things, right? As I told you before, uh, the, the, the GD at the end goes more into design or more into product. But you never, when after a few years of being senior, you don't go or you go to director or something else, right? But you don't stay in that position or you change branches. Yeah. So the pool of GDs is always shrinking, you know, which is kind <laughs> of complex uh, for us. And um, at some mm. point, well, GameLoft has a lot of different games. So we actually need, right now, we are, I will say, 30 GDs in GameLoft. So it's like a mm. big number and it's yeah. super hard to hire these guys, right? So at some point, um, we say, okay, we cannot fight the reality. Uh, people is going into into GameLoft, uh, um, and GameLoft, in fact, is a great company to learn because they have uh, a good and a bad thing at the same time. That is having a lot of different genres, right? That is uh, is a good thing because for learning is amazing. It's a bad thing because gaining expertise is a bit harder, right? Because you have so yep. many different things. Yeah. It's not that easy to to build on. Um, but then what we what we have, yes, is uh, 
right now, not when these guys that you are mentioning were in the company. When when Javi was in in Gameloft, we were 13 shitties, I would say. Wow. Uh, in fact, Javier is uh, of the first round of shitties. I am of the, <laughs> of the second round of, of shitties. Um, so these guys at the end learn, as myself, in the hard way, right? We didn't have this thing of uh, schools right now. You don't have that many, but there are some schools in, in the world about game economy design, and, and the guys that come from those schools became more prepared. Uh, as was learning on the fly, committing million mistakes, talking a lot between us, and and we learned a lot, right? So a lot of these uh, these people that were in GameLove uh, actually went to other companies and they are making great, all of them. And and then I decided to put uh, an initiative that I started probably four years ago. Um, since the inflow of, of juniors is quite big in GameLove because of the numbers we need, uh, I put in place what we like to call it GD school, right? That is, uh, I would define it as a, as a one-year program, more or less. That is what it actually takes to to be more solid, let's say, on, on this branch. Where they enter in the company, they are three months where they are playing their games, right? This is the first thing I need from them. Guys that actually know their games by by heart and they can defend the stuff and these kind of things we give also a list of games to play you know for people because not all the GDs come from the industry a lot of them come from other areas passionate gamers but not from gaming so you need to go through this process of okay play all these games get uh, comfortable with the vocabulary and all these kind of things so uh, the first three months are onboarding let's say where the the senior GDs of every studio help a lot in, in this part uh, then I start kicking in and I tend to have one meeting. Well, now I'm a bit more busy, so it's, it's getting more complex, but uh, uh, ideally one meeting every week with each junior, right? Where Because teaching about systems is not something that you can teach in a theoretical way, right? There is some theory inside, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. the best way to do it is actually going uh, in depth, going into a system, going to an actual problem and solving it together. So for, for quite a while, I would say between three and six more months, uh, we continue with this process of uh, weekly meetings, talking about stuff, and not always about the economy, right? A lot of times it's, okay, how can I sell my idea to the guys? You know, I have this idea, but the guys are not really hitting me. How do I do it? And, and a lot of uh, these things. Uh, and then after six months, I would say, to nine months, depending on where you enter, I used to make... I say I used to because with COVID, this part is not easy anymore. <laughs> but I used to do a two weeks workshop for juniors, uh, twice per year, where four or five GDs will come from different points of the, of the world. And we will have uh, very intensive sessions of at least six hours, let's say, where we go through um, different stages, let's say, of... of uh, game economy design. So we start, they come with uh, a design of either with their game or game evolution plan or something like that. And they need to explain to all the other cities uh, what we what they are doing and come with one idea that is fresh, that is out of scope and is something that they would like to, to do and explain this part. Then the second phase is more focused on, on, uh, on balancing. So this one we actually do in our desktops, right? So I go with the guys during the whole day uh, and we make different scenarios, uh, modeling a bit with this and that, following different hypotheses and different profiles. Uh, then this, the phase three is presenting this, but in this phase, I stay silent, in fact, and the other GDs 
uh, are acting as a HQ, right? They're our external stakeholders in the company. So they need to learn how to attack and defend a project, what is a, a very interesting process to see <laughs> from the outside. So yeah, in, this, in this place, I get my popcorn, you know, and say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kill each other. It's <laughs> a go for that direction. And then the fourth phase is more into this feature that they balance and they present. We go into more analysis way, right? So, okay, you mm. have this feature. What will you need to know in terms of data to make what analysis? Because you know the, the the easiest way to do is I want to track everything. I want to have that data about absolutely everything, and this takes time. So then there is a reality thing that okay, we don't have all the time in the world. Please be very specific on what you want to analyze, and then we will go uh, to what KPIs you need to track to get this information. So it's a very interesting process that gave me really, really, really good results over the years. And, and in addition, it helps also to see this from different games and uh, cultures, in fact, because, well, game love is in a lot of countries, and it's not the same to talk uh, with the people from Canada than from uh, Ukraine than from Barcelona. And there is a lot of, you know, these kind of things. Uh, and it's very, very interesting. It's something I enjoy uh, a lot. It requires also quite some energy <laughs> because the guys come, come super hungry from learning and this kind of stuff. So it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting and you learn a lot, right? I, I have been probably trained already 30 plus GDs in my career. Uh, and the reality is that uh, they believe that I am training them, right? But they are also training me at the same time. You learn, yeah, it's like... A, Teaching is not a one-way thing, right? It, it's, it goes and comes. And I learned a lot from a lot of people uh, from all points of view, right? That sometimes it's like kind of uh, economy thing. Sometimes it's how they communicate in, in one country or in the other. So it's very, very interesting to see this uh, development of people. And quite a few times, the guys that came together to, to the GD workshop, they continue talking for long, even after yeah. they leave the company. <laughs> so, you know, I will have this part of, uh, I don't know, as a more human side of things that is, is interesting to see how, how they develop. Yeah. So, you know, let's say, switching gears a little bit. Um, let's say I'm, I'm looking at starting a new studio or I already have a small studio um, and I'm starting to work on a game or we have a, a small little game in there. Like, at what point do I need a game economist or do I need to even be really thinking about game economy design and whatnot? Like, you know, what is the right size? Like, obviously, Gameloft is a big company. And if I'm just a startup, like, you know, how important and when should I be looking at adding, you know, game design in? Or is that something that you know, my regular game designer should be doing with the economy themselves? It really depends on what game you are doing, right? By, <laughs> by default, this is what, what we start with. Um, if you are doing a smaller game in terms of complexity, not in terms of size, eh, but complexity, example, you are making a match three, probably mm -hmm. indeed your game designer should take care of the economy, right? Um, you're going in to, well, maybe a bit crazy for a small company, but you're going to an RPG, you will need a game economy channel from the very, very beginning. Why you need it from the very beginning is because um, a lot of features, the game economy channel, at least if he has a, a good level of expertise, he will tell you what, basically he will ask you, okay, Tom, you're making this RPG. 
what do you want? How long, you know, how many heroes you can produce per month? How much you want to be? How aggressive you want to be? What do the progression you want to be? And then he will take all these variables that you give to him and you say, okay, if you want to do this in the way you want to do it, you will need at least uh, five heroes per month. You will need uh, one extra gacha every every other month, let's say, to rotate the content. This feature that you want to do, it doesn't make sense with the amount of things you have, right? The economy you're, you're trying to make in your game doesn't make much sense because you will end in inflation a lot. So you, are not, you don't have enough things in your economy to, to have a healthy product and all this kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that more and more you have game designers that can do both things, right? We, we put the... The position we invent, in fact, the position of game economy designer in Gameloft because Gameloft was a premium company, so the transition to prim from premium to free to play was not the smoothest one, let's say. <laughs> right? There were a lot of game designers that were still on the very premium side, so we actually needed someone that comes with a more free to play mindset to, to to change things, and and uh, that's why we have this division, right, in Gameloft. But I, I, mm. I know a lot of other companies where you have more lean teams and this kind of stuff where everyone, you know, wear more than one hat and you can have these these things of uh, yeah. having game designer. But at the end, it really, really depends on the volume of, of, mm. uh, of the things you need, you want to, right? If you, even if you go farther away, right, you are making a 4X, you probably will need more than one game economy designer. <laughs> so it really depends on, on, on what you are doing. But in terms of concept from the very beginning, is, is needed because uh, a good game economy designer will save you a lot of development time. This is something that is sometimes hard to grasp, right? But they say, why? You know, this guy is in a different things. But we have and we develop the talent with the years to see potential problems in the future, right? So uh, it is not only to tell you, yeah, you are missing this kind of stuff. It's more, okay, we are making the system because right now it fulfills our needs. But in three years, we'll have a problem with the system because yeah. it has you know, a structural thingy that will be problematic at some point. Let's go to a clear example, right? Clash Royale meta. Okay, <laughs> very easy to understand, but it has a limit, right? You cannot add right now a 14th level to the cards because it will be like two years away in time. It doesn't make sense anymore. So the shitties also sometimes come and say, okay, we make the system, makes sense. At this point, you know, like one year before, we need to start talking about this topic to solve it in the future. And mm. that's why you actually need a, a game economy designer. But it's a different mindset from the game designer because sometimes game designers are uh, way more creative, right? Myself, I, I am not the creative guy. I'm a problem solver. So if you tell me, <laughs> can you, can you, okay, Fran, do you, you need to make a new game? What do you want to do? I, I have no idea. I don't know. I prefer a game designer to come with a great idea and I make it real, you know, after with numbers. But it's a different mindset and a skill set than, than, than a game designer sometimes. So, yeah, mm. this is what a game economy designer really brings on the early production that the, or pre-production, right, that the, you yeah. don't have if you add it later. Because later so, it comes, yeah, sorry, go. Yeah, so tell me, or, or give me some tips, but, like, what makes a great economy, like, you know, it, yeah, that's probably something like if you ask somebody, like, do you want a great economy in your game? Everyone's going to say yes. So, so, you know, what is that? Like, how can I achieve that in my game? And, and it's fun that I know, right? I'm Argentinian and the economy of Argentina is not the best one. So people <laughs> always make fun of me because of that. But I have a, a few 
major tips, let's say, for, for this stuff. First one, clear echo table, right? A clear Excel with everything inside where you can uh, calculate, modelate, and do things there without being directly in the editors, right? This is a common fight that tend to have with game designers when they have the numbers all in the in Unity itself and this kind of stuff. I say, no, guys, I need to operate with this. I really need clear documentation. So, uh, so an yeah. echo table echo basically is, so is like, so I took all of the variables from Unity and I have them in an Excel document so that I can tweak them and see how they interact together, basically. In fact, it's the opposite way. <laughs> you have everything in the echo table, and then you put it in Unity. Ah. <laughs> right? that, that's the proper thing to, to do. <laughs> because you need to um, make imbalancing and this kind of stuff is actually the last step of uh, in, in the chain of, of, of the economy, right? A, a lot goes before on discussing about what do you want to achieve? What are your, your hypotheses? What do you want to be the split of resources? And there is a lot of talk to do actually before making numbers. Then a normal problem that every human being has is that it's not that easy to visualize an economy, right? Or an exponential growth or this kind of stuff. So the best thing to do is put it in a table already with the formulas and everything. Then you go and you discuss with the lead game designer, the game manager or product owner, whoever you have uh, taking the decision. Once he actually saw real values, you know, at least in paper, you make all the changes that you will <laughs> need to do and then you put it in game, right? And um, why is this very important, uh, having clear documentation? Because you don't know for how long a GD will be in the project, right? Maybe you are here today and two days, uh, two years from now, you leave to another company and your game, if it is successful, is still there. So you have a new guy that arrives to your company and say, okay, perfect, I am very excited. I will work in this game. Uh, where are the numbers? In the editor. Good luck extracting all that for the poor little guy that is entering at that point, right? And uh, and sometimes you just move games from studio to studio, you know, a lot of other things. So clear documentation is always, always needed. Uh, then, well, I spoiled this one uh, a bit before, but it's more on intentions, right? Before making mm. any number or wasting any time, please talk with someone that makes the briefing. It can be the, the sheet itself or someone else, but briefings first. <laughs> because, yeah, going, going, and making an entire proposal on balancing and design and systems. And at the end, you arrive to the, you know, to the meeting room and they say, ah, yeah, but, you know, great work, but this is not what I was looking for. No. <laughs> Please talk, define properly what you want to do, and, and then you execute. Execution at the end is the, the, the last part. It's the one that takes most of the time uh, because balancing is a very iterative process and actually takes a lot of time, but uh, it's way, way, way more important to to understand where are you going, right? Uh, and this also goes for, for, for game designers, right? It is not only for, for GDs. I, when I used to, to work in, in New York and the guys were presenting me features, uh, I would tell, okay, guys, put me one line, right? Similar to what Caitlin said, put me one line or what is the objective of your feature? Because one feature, if it is for monetization, can be okay. And if it is for, for retention, you are committing a mistake, right? With this same feature, and, and the opposite two ways also also happens, right? So, super clear on intentions. What will you go to monetize in your game? 
what is the pacing from all the axis of progression you have, which one is the fastest one, which one is the slowest one, how much money you want to do with everything, and then you, you come back with the with the real documentation to, to prove that. Mm. Then, and this is the reality, and I, I heard you making this question a lot of time, right? Like how to make a game that lasts for 10 years. Yes, that's what I want. That's what most people want, right? Well, not just last, you. but thrive after 10 years. I, I, will, I will give you <laughs> bad news on this one too. Um, making a game that actually thrives for 10 years is pretty, pretty, pretty hard. Why is that? Because by definition, the economies of free-to-play are meant to be destroyed after a certain time, right? <laughs> are purely inflationary systems that at some point, you know, it's not like a real world where you can, well, now they are printing a lot of money, but in theory, you cannot print <laughs> a lot of money, right, all the time and, and, and do this kind of stuff. But in free-to-play, basically, you, you create currency all the time, creating currency, creating currency. And you need to be very, 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 uh, how to say, it? like monitor it all the time to make sure that you are thinking enough, you know, that the stuff and you have your balances are okay, your inflows and outflows make sense and they kind of stuff. So the first thing is creating a robust economy. And, and how you create a robust economy? You create a robust economy, having into account all the life ops you're going to do in the future, not even now, but even in the future, right? So we. We circle back a bit before on, on the intentions and how you want to do this. Because at some point you say, okay, my game, perfect. I am a perfect GD. I am super clever and I make my game to last three years at least from the scratch, right? So I have freedom for three years. Okay, perfect. And then comes the, the product manager and say, well, uh, we, are, we will make an offer here, an offer there. We have this event to accelerate this. We are adding this new feature. And then you see your, your three years shrinking you know, uh, in front of your eyes and you start crying and say, no, wait, wait, <laughs> stop, stop saying things, you're, you're breaking it. So this is the, the, the important thing, right? Like really, really having to account that your game is not just for the non-paying user that will be playing like that. We make money with paying users that will accelerate a lot the progression. So you need to have this in mind and create very, very robust economies, right? Um, then going back to systems, sanity check. How will this system look three years from now. And sometimes we think, right, yeah, okay, rules and stuff, but no, it's not only rules. Again, we go to UI, for example. We're introducing four characters per month. My system of gachas makes sense right now. What will happen when I have 400 heroes or cars or this kind of stuff? How I will manage my gacha? I will have a super big gacha with super small probabilities that will be the worst experience you can get in your life every time you open? <laughs> no, right? You don't really want that. So, okay, perfect. I will add with this amount of content that I am adding per month, I need after a certain amount, a rotation system. I will need a black market on the side. I will need a, a different kind of gacha to compensate for, for the probabilities and all these kind of things, right? So this already raised uh, red flags sometimes and if not, just be proper time to pre of preparation, right? To afford the time that you need to fix these things. Because if you notice it when the problem is already there, it's always late, right? It's yeah. super hard in almost every team that you come and say, guys, I have a, a, a big problem. Uh, can we make a feature now? And I say, yeah, yes, the soonest <laughs> is three updates away, right? Because you were, have the roadmap and, yeah. and a lot of things. So having things, uh, knowing things in advance is uh, key for, for, for making a, a strong game economy. Uh, then, 
and you mentioned something about this uh, in the last podcast. Um, if you have two scenarios of your economy, one harsher and one more generous, always the harsher first. This is a rule, and this is the, one of the few things in the game economy that, that is, it is like this, and that's it. And it's not because the economy itself, right? Because for us, it's the same thing to do it one way or the other. But the reality is that, and, and yes, please, she is that are hearing this, like uh, record this part, uh, every balancing change has a price. It is not for free. So you, you discover that you are too generous and you need to decrease your, uh, your economy uh, inflow. First thing you need to do, you go to, to Amazon, you buy something and you send it to community manager because for the next month, he will live in hell, right? <laughs> Everyone complaining why you are destroying the economy and this kind of stuff. This game used to be nice. You are too greedy and this kind of stuff. In the opposite way, you know, you discover that you are too harsh and people are churning. Okay, perfect. Let, let's input a bit more uh, of rewards here and there. The community is okay. I, they are actually hitting me. I feel more involved in this game. Perfect. Everyone is happy, you know, and, and, and this is something that yeah, we learn not by reading it, right? We learn it by, by committing mistakes and having very, very angry communities. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> with time, uh, we learn how to, to do it properly. And then the last one, and this is a very common uh, mistake when you start, is um, don't trust averages, right? When you are a GD and you start your, your path in analysis, you say, okay, perfect. I have this data, right? The amount of uh, fights per, per session is this amount. I will make my balancing based on that. You make it on that, and then you discover that for some part of the population is too harsh, for another part of the population, it's too easy, and they are destroying your events. And I say, like, what, what, what is happening, right? I have the data. I saw the data. I saw the number. I am sure of this. But that is thing, right? Averages are at the end that, right? Are the the average of a lot of different people playing together. So the best thing you can do as a game economy designer uh, to understand properly what the people is doing is uh, profile your players, right? It could be any product index you choose. And you can have several different filterings for, for the data. So you could have level, right? Level of the player. You could have uh, participation on events. Uh, a lot of different things that help you to cluster users and understand actually what they are doing. And then you don't find surprises, you know, the, in, in the bad way and say, okay, okay, we, we just destroy, destroy everything. Uh, so yeah, this will be first but patch of tips <laughs> for, for having a strong economy. Uh, here and there. What, what do you think about like hard caps? Like one of the things that I think is like the most powerful things that Clash of Clans has in that that protects their economy is their like gold and resource caps. Because I think if they didn't have, you know, a max, I don't know how, how big it is right now. I'm not max level there, but let, let's say it's like 14 million gold. Like if they didn't have that, I think their max level players would just store like hundreds of millions of gold. And as soon as they release any new content, those players would just burn through it all right away. Um, and so by having those caps, as they release new content, the players, you know, are, are like, they'll still probably get it fast because they're super engaged, but it at least protects it a little bit more. Yeah, this is a, a very good question that in fact, 
generates a lot of polemic conversations here and there, right? Um, because when you analyze themselves, the the caps, conceptually speaking, it's not a very elegant solution, right? You, you have some cap there that is forced and this kind of stuff and say, okay, it's too artificial, this kind of stuff. In my experience, elegant solutions are super hard to design. So I love, I, I love you know, game designers that can actually bring elegant solutions for, for uh, dealing with this. But in my experience, if you don't have time to come with an elegant solution, caps are a very nice way to deal with it, right? And this is probably one of the strongest, I will say, uh, approaches from Supercell in general. They have mm -hmm. strict, very strict control of their economies, right? Even in in Heyday, that is a bit more open. It was, I, I remember, right? But that time you will have uh, before that uh, Farmville and all these games in Facebook with super exponential economies, horizontal operation that will break after a certain amount of time and a lot of things. And then someday Heyday comes out. And you complete an order and you receive 12 coins. I say, okay, what is happening here, right? Why, why so slow? And it's a, it's a very clever way to, to solve it, right? So it's same in Clash of Clans and same in Clash Royale. Caps, at some point, if you want to full control of the economy, just put caps. It's true. It's not that elegant and sometimes it feels artificial, but it is not easy to come with another solution to, to fix that, right? In, and when you have a game uh, with six plus years, <laughs> It's very, very, very hard to do it. So these kind of things can be very, very helpful. So yeah, I, in general, I, I recommend to, to use them. Always try to think about a more elegant solution if you can. But the first time you have doubts about it and you you, you are doubting, just go back to, to the gaps. You can contextualize properly, right? You don't need to have, yeah, it's a clash of clans, it's perfect, right? So you have a, a vault, right? And this kind of stuff, so, okay, makes sense. In other games, you could have a soft currency that is even by a quest giver, right? And it only has 10,000 of gold per day to give you or, or even a random number to make it look more more, more alive, the yeah. kind of things. But all in all, I am I am a, a good friend with, with, with CAPS for, for the awesome. economy. I love it. Cool. Well, let's move on to uh, mistakes and lessons learned uh, so that hopefully uh, others don't run into similar traps. Okay. How many hours do you have for this? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll just start with, uh, I don't know, top top five or something like that. Yeah, I think you mentioned um, one thing was, you know, putting systems in place before making a proper analysis. Like, you know, yeah, what, okay. what does that mean and, and how can you prevent that? Yes, yes. Uh, before starting this, uh, in this thing, uh, like, don't be afraid of committing mistakes. I, I, I In my workshops, I give to my CDs, I... They come right, and they are juniors, and they see me, and you're yeah, the the CD god, and and I, I tell them every time, right? I I know it's true. I know a lot of, of things about game economy, about a lot of genres, but it's because I commit a million mistakes in my career, right? A million mistakes, and you learn a lot. What is a, a mistake? It's not a failure if you learn something from it at the end. So committing a mistake is great. If you commit a mistake, don't be shy. Share it with others, right? Say yeah, you know, actually I did this. It didn't work don't do it go to learn another thing try something else go in that direction and we become all better right and the same guy learning the same process all the time um, but then put in place systems before proper analysis a lot of times and this is something that uh, she just need to have in mind you need to be able to say no guys i need more time to deploy this system 
right? And I have a very quick example of this. Uh, when I was uh, working in uh, Spider-Man Unlimited, I was a, a runner. I made a matchmaking system for for matching players based in their skills and in the costumes they have, right? The power they have, basically. And I didn't have time to pro make a proper analysis beforehand. And I just dropped the system, right? With different brackets and these kind of things. Results, super unbalanced matchmaking system. People was complaining. Some of them were churning, a lot of things and that and that. Uh, and why was that? Because the, the proper way to do that would have been putting first a tracking of how will the system work, right? So I could see the values directly. And then when I know the distribution of the users, actually put the system in place. Uh, this is something that yeah, it goes for everyone, right? Putting systems in place and this kind of stuff is slow process. You cannot rush things because when you rush it, it doesn't work. Or you need to pay for it, you know, at the end because you lose money in, in the meantime. If you are willing to lose money, okay, be my guest, you know, like go, go all in. But if you have time, you have the luxury, you have the of having time, that's not always the case. Uh, <laughs> Try to get data before you launch a system, right? right? Try to understand what will be the, the reflection of the system in your current environment and not in your Excel file. And, and this solves a lot of problems in a lot of different things, right? Uh, and it's also very helpful thinking in this way because other thing that can happen to you is, hi, I put this system in place. Okay, perfect. Let's go with the analysis for this system. I need uh, this data, uh, but we don't have that tracker. What? Yeah, yeah, we, mm -hmm. you didn't ask for that tracker before, so we don't have that tracker. Okay, perfect. We will pilot this feature blind for one month and a half, you know, <laughs> and, and this kind of thing. So, yeah, always uh, analysis before uh, systems. Cool. Second That's one. Great yeah, one. Oh. oh, yeah. That was a great one. <laughs> Second one. Um, be careful with the economies at lunch. Right, this is a problem. It's very easy to go. Why? Because you say, okay, I have my economy like this. Let's say uh, a car game, right? Like asphalt that we are making a game of. I, I release my game with 50 cars, uh, and it takes like six months or eight months or one year, two years to get to that point. So yeah, my economy is safe and this kind of stuff. Okay, why not? It's true. This is one point of view. Things, right? You are taking your global economy. But the reality behind that economy that you have done is that you use two years, three years to make these 50 cars, right? It's a pace that you will never be able to, to keep again, unless we have for some reason that amount of cars uh, again. So the second thing I will, uh, I am using now, in fact, to, to see this, the, the proper economy and the health of the economy is saying, Okay, let's suppose I have a, a Kraken, right? I have a Kraken that already bought absolutely everything in the game. How much content I am adding per month? These four cars. How much is the potential cost in soft currency and in hard currency for, for these uh, four cars? X. How much these users are generating per month? And when we did this analysis, for example, we found out that, yeah, actually the, the, the economy was an inflation, you know, it was in inflation mode, but you cannot, uh, you cannot see it because you say, yeah, I have still know 34 cars to go for the guys. Yeah, yeah, but you are in introducing inflation. So balance also your 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 game from that point of view. 
it's very easy to to commit that mistake and very hard to fix if you don't patch it in time you know because at the end you will have two or three months where you have a problem with the content and the worst that can happen to you is that the golden cohort actually is uh, churning yeah. you don't have enough content so it's a lot of money that you are losing that you will never ever recover so yeah um careful with that uh, other one and this is yes more for for bigger companies than smaller ones because you don't always have in the smaller ones the access to a data science or to a data analyst to make a proper A-B test right or you don't simply don't have the live of tool to make an A-B test but uh, in well, general that's, that's why there's user wise now exactly yeah. <laughs> exactly you see <laughs> i give you <laughs> i give you the, the enter there then sorry i couldn't um, help myself <laughs> no this is perfect it's perfect and, and, and this is great huh? in fact this is great. Uh, all in all, uh, people are now showing free to play with all the tools that you have out on the market. And there is amazing to be in this market now. I remember all times we were, you know, with the stones <laughs> and the sticks trying to make things. And yeah, it's, like, it's awesome to have solutions right now where, where you are a small company and you can pay a very moderate price, you know, because when you see how much we had spent in the past making our own tools, crazy crazy amount of money and, and you can be a small company and have a very very good uh, solution for for your game right now without going into the process of hiring data engineers hiring a lot of people to, to solve it so yeah everyone that is a small company try solutions otherwise <laughs> and um and it's introducing balancing changes without heavy testing right especially the ones that are linked to difficulty and, and and soft gates, I will say, because what happens? You're releasing your game, you have some churn. Easiest way to say is the balancing is broken, right? Someone come to say, I say no, Fran, the balancing is too hard. I was playing the game, and we need to make it easier. And I say, yeah, but you know, I'm not that sure. Is it is broken? <laughs> no, it is not broken, but it's hard. Okay, okay, let's make a change. Let's make a change. We make a change. I will tell you without exaggerating that 85% of the time, retention is the same, but monetization <laughs> decreased yeah. by 20%, right? So guys, be careful with this. <laughs> like uh, really test your changes, especially difficulty ones and all this kind of stuff and early balancing. Uh, one thing is if the economy is broken, yeah, you can go with a big change right away. But if, you, if it is not broken and you believe that this difficulty or balancing at the beginning, A-B test million million times we tried to do this in the in the fast way and it was never the fast way at the end <laughs> it was very very costly uh for for everyone um then this one is a bit more deep into system design and, and game economy right but uh i will try to put it as simple as i can uh one of the problems we have now, and I will say every company, is that you are making uh, an RPG, right? Something. And you are comparing with the guys that have been in the market for five years, right? And you say, okay, these guys are using this approach, these abilities, this uh, complexity and the characters and everything. And I say, okay, we cannot go less than that, right? So let's try to at least start with that level of depth. Mistake. Mistake. Big mistake. Why? Because... These games actually have five years already in the market. And it's not that you cannot compete with that, but these five years are five years they were alive right in the market. If you go right away with super complex abilities and this kind of stuff, you are basically burning five years of content 
that you will have added, if not, right? And it's shooting yourself in the feet is very, very harsh. And uh, the same, new game, new RPG. Okay, I start with abilities that are uh, plus attack, plus HP, plus defense. Don't go into critical things, you know, and a lot of different, more complex mechanics. Mm -hmm. Save them for later because you need them at some point. Yeah. And, and when, when you already beat the first layer of complexity, you introduce the next one. Because that's the thing, right? With all these games, and uh, you need to change the meta every 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 few months. You need okay. This is now is a more powerful unit. If you burn all these five years, it's very hard to come up with new things. And you can see, I don't know, Contest of Champions, uh, Dragon Ball Dog and Battle, Galaxy uh, of Heroes, or Star Wars, or even Marvel. Con uh, sorry, um, Strike Force. All these games have a real clear evolution in complexity with time, you know, to the point mm -hmm. that right now, sometimes you have text, you know, like that you need to read, <laughs> you need to put a video on YouTube to understand what they're actually doing with, with, with everything. And uh, it's, it's too complex also for the users to onboard in a game that is that complex, right? So you're losing a lot of content that you are burning and you're losing a lot of users that won't be able to onboard your game because mm. it's too complex. So yeah, it looks risky to say, okay, I am like a just more empty version of this game. But yeah, you, you cannot, uh, at the end, your game, even though the, the meta and the economy is very needed, you need, your game need to have something else. If you really yeah. depend just on content and just on meta, your game won't work. You know, you will run either when in this problem now or in the near future or at some point. So you need something else to sell a product, not just be a, a, a copycat, you know, and try to, to yeah. sell something. So yeah. Okay, I have I have a question for you because <laughs> there's a there's a game that I'm kind of helping out right now. Yes. Um, and I feel like they've kind of done this. Um, <laughs> and so I'm gonna put you on the spot and, and see if you can uh, give some, some tips here. So um, they, took a lot of inspiration from AFK Arena. And mm -hmm. in a sense, they they largely copied a lot of the, the monetization aspects of it in terms of like what pops up and how it works and stuff. Um, but the core gameplay, it is an RPG. Uh, you collect heroes, uh, but the gameplay is a little bit different. It's almost like this like chessboard type thing where you like you get a turn, you put a hero out and then the opponent puts a hero out, but it's like just the computer player. Um, it's actually fairly fun to do that. Um, and they've got good retention and they've got good initial payer conversion. Um, but really all you're buying is uh, like diamonds or something that you can use in the gotcha to get more heroes. Doesn't really seem to completely connect with the core gameplay other than, oh, maybe I have a new hero that I can like either evolve or power up and then finally use them. Um, but yeah, their, their monetization is just, you know, people maybe spend once if they do they're not spending again uh, which to me the the most important metric in monetization is your payer reconversion because spending should make the game more fun and if it doesn't you know you're, you're kind of broken there um, but how would you approach trying to fix a game like that like is it too far gone like they shouldn't have just taken the afk you know monetization set and said hey it's working over here maybe it should work in my game um you know, it, it does seem to be a fairly complex because they did take that over. But how would you, how would you approach that? Well, it's um, several points here. Uh, one of the points and the advantage, let's say, of AFK is that it's a game with a very strong vertical progression, right? So you have time and you have stats to play with, uh, mm -hmm. and this is uh, helpful. Um, 
to give you a quick example, uh, in asphalt, uh, the cars have an actual limitation of stats, so you cannot go above that point. So the amount of stats you can monetize are very limited, right? Yeah. So, so in this regard, okay. At least it's, uh, you know, an RPG and you have <laughs> these kind of, of things. Infinite, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Potentially infinite. That also has their, their cons, right, at the end, because then the gap between new users and old users it's very hard to fix, but well, problem for another day, I would say. <laughs> um, second one will be uh, making a content deployment plan, right? So you say, okay, I have these heroes, I divide these heroes within these different modes, and the top content, I will introduce it, for example, in a gacha every two weeks. This content will go outside of the acquisition loop for three months, six months, you know, whatever you want and this kind of stuff. So it's not that you just put a hero in the gacha and that's it. You need to create a plan for that content, right? Create a plan that usually if, if, you, if you are more on the RPG side, you will need probably one entire year. You can play with one entire year, right? So you, you introduce a character in a gacha or in time limited event that is very powerful. You give three, four months to the hero to be, you know, the one that breaks a bit everything. So it's, a, it's a, uh, an unbalance created by design, right? And it's not an unbalance that you find just out there. And then you yep. say, okay, perfect. Uh, for the next uh, six months, I will just add the, the hero every two weeks in a, spe a special gacha that only appears in the in the weekends, for example, right? Then I go with this and I put it in a more regular gacha that is there, right? After six months, I already put it in this content or, or not, or you have even a middle uh, ground where you say, well, after six months, I put this in bundles, bundles, direct IAP, and then stuff. After this kind of stuff, you put it in the, in the normal content. But yeah, this is, the point is to have a clear idea of what amount of content you can produce. Uh, in what time, what is the, how do you plan to break your own meta? You know, the meta being the most effective tactic available, right? Not yeah, the yeah. other meta that we tend to talk. Uh, when you want to break it and how you want to break it, right? Because at the end, uh, if, if your game goes in that way and you are introducing heroes, you don't need to all the heroes to be good, right? There are a lot of that are fillers and stuff. Okay, yeah. your top content, how you introduce it? What is the pacing? How much money you're expecting? When? There are extra rules, right? If, uh, if uh, this hero is monetizing pretty well by the other means, I probably don't want to put it in the in the normal gacha. I want to create something extra for this or, or whatever you want to do. So it's, it's really, again, going to the to the blackboard, you know, and, the, and discuss what are you expecting from this style. So no, the, this, this uh, meta, let's say, as, as uh, AFK Arena had a lot of elasticity, let's say, to, to, to break things and fix it by adding an extra layer on top. But mm -hmm. uh, my, my real advice is to make a deployment plan of the of the content. And, and I'm telling this also from, from the experience. Eh? When we are making asphalt, for example, everyone had the strategy for the content in their heads, right? It was every, clear for everyone. Every time you talk with someone else, you will find inconsistencies. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe it's not that clear for everyone. We went, you know, we put in an Excel file, we put in the stuff, we, we explained all the archetype of cars that we want. We explained all the archetype of uh, time-limited events we, we want. And then we, we show a real repartition of the stuff. 
even when you say, right, uh, I need to save four heroes for this event that still not exist, but it will exist in three months. I need some heroes to to be the, the proper leverage for mm-hmm. this, you know, the, the carrot, let's say, of this mode to make it work. Uh, you, you really need a, a clear plan. So, yeah, sometimes uh, inspiring in another meta is good, especially in RPGs, because the, the metas in RPGs are very defined already. Right, you have this one. You have idle heroes before, before FIK, mm-hmm. and they uh, all go in the same direction. Then you have the one of Contest of Champion. Then you have the, the one of Star Wars. Very defined loops that are very well monetized, and they are proved several, several times with a million IPs, <laughs> without a piece, everything. Yeah. But still, you you need to be clever enough to not burn, you know, the normal cycle uh, of of content and complexity too fast. Is there? too much content so like in this game and i guess i'm comparing it to like genshin impact so in genshin they've got a a very limited set of uh heroes at least to start with and and you kind of bond with them like you have stories like oh i really want to get gene Um, but in this game that we're working with they're they're soft launched with like 80 different heroes already and like as a new player i have no idea you know which ones are good and and to go with like is there too much content and is that something for like new players that i should think about slimming down or whatnot too 80 from release it sounds like a bit too much indeed an overkill (laughs) probably um but the general rule is you need as much content as the content you got you can't give meaning to, you know, this is a clear thing, because and, and it's, it's not that hard to notice when eh, when you have too much content. It exists too much content. The thing, not over years, right? But in a specific time frame, it exists too much content, and you will notice it because you will not be able to monetize it. And it's as easy as that. You will start putting some extra gachas with time limited, whatever, and you will see that people simply don't buy them or don't play this event. Participation is low in one event or whatever, and you say, okay, maybe I am pushing too much content to 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 my game right now, right? And and we have gone through this process several times in my career. You know, at the beginning, uh, of course, you you try to to push up the the pipeline as much as you can. Okay, what is the maximum we can produce? Twelve heroes per month. Let's go with twelve heroes. And then you try to put in the economy and say, well, guys, I don't have room for twelve heroes. <laughs> To put them in, in, in the game, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a space to, to put it, or I need right. to give them away, right? So why we're producing something that we're giving for free? Unless mm. this is the, the very point of the hero, right? Because there are a lot of content that you sacrifice on purpose of uh, for engagement and these kind of things. But if not, yes, it actually exists. And being having a lot of content uh, is problematic after a certain point because you need to distribute that content. And the guys yeah. that are 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 there with you since the beginning it's okay right because they are only consuming the new content i say okay these guys are enjoying they are paying they are happy what happened when you are a new user and you enter right and you have 800 dragons to to buy which one is better what should i buy what what can i actually do with this so content is is uh, is interesting uh but it's uh, you need to manage it wisely right it's a Clear, clear example, uh, maybe an exaggeration, right? But go to Dota 2. If you never play Dota 2 or LOL or any of these MOBAs, go now yeah. and, and try to learn 130 heroes plus 60 items on top plus combination. Like it's overwhelming. You open, you close, goodbye. Let's go back yeah. to, to my more friendly game to, to play. So 
unless you actually need the content, uh, making more content than you need, at least releasing more content than you need is a mistake. Yeah. Of course, you can create buffer of content, right? And have it saved somewhere and, and these kind of things. But uh, it is a direct correlation between the content you need to add and the money you are generating with that content. If you see right. that you are adding something and it's not generating money, you are probably adding too much right now. I love that. I think that's a great tip for people. Um, I think it's hard to get ahead of the content treadmill, but you know, be careful with it. it. I think it's better to save that for a rainy day that you can use it when you need to than giving too much out. So that's fantastic. Well, cool. Uh, I, I know we're a little over time here, but uh, really appreciate it. So I've got one more uh, question know, for you, as I'm sure. Um, you know, what, what's one tip that you might have for people uh, for increasing retention? You know, Tona, this this question is getting more unfair, right? By 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 every podcast, right? <laughs> like it's very hard to come after twenty five other great uh, guys and, and bring something new. Uh, but well, since I knew that this one was coming, I, I am more or less prepared. So I will leave you two. One is is uh, more cheesy, if you want. Uh, the first one is because people sometimes don't pay enough attention to this, and it's uh, retention within a team is reflected in retention in your game, right? So taking care of the people that's in the team and having a pretty solid core team in your game will always give a good result, right? It's very hard to maintain the vision of a project and stuff if you have a rotation, you know, of two guys every other month and, and you need to train them, onboard them and try to sell again the the, the identity of the game. It's very hard, one. So yeah, it, I, I really encourage everyone to to pay attention you know, to their teams and, and make sure that the, they are properly integrated, especially with, with GD that sometimes it's, uh, it's easy to isolate them, right? So this is the, the, a bit cheesy one, but it's, it's very effective yeah, still, but a bit cheesy one. Well, let's go with the other. And the other one, after hearing indeed, like all people that talk here, I will change the angle a bit to increase retention. Because people uh, tend to see retention as a picture, right? So you say, okay, I have this retention and this is my picture. It's, it's true, it, it variates, but still a picture or a lot of pictures, right? And the reality is that there is an extra axis, right? If, if you want to, to quote back of the, to the future, right? The fourth dimension that yeah. is time. So this is something that uh, I would say in the entire industry is not uh, explored enough. That is that you need to accelerate the economy for all for new players in your old game, right? When the gap between new players and old players becomes too big, retention will go down by default because when you enter in the game, you are not hooked into the game or you are overwhelmed by the amount of people that goes uh, above you. So there are a lot of games that have very nice ways of uh, accelerating the economy so you can catch up a bit, not to the end game, right? Because it would be unfair for all the people that were here all these years, but still to go to the, you know, to the, the part of the game that is the most, most juicy one. And um, to give you a clear example on this, a, a clear that will make any GED cry at the beginning is uh, Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. You have a bundle of $100 right now. That's called, well, for the last year and a half, that's called the Hyper Drive Bundle, something like that, and push you to maximum level, give you away 40 heroes or more, a lot of items to level up them, all that content that is probably between six and 10 months of content for $100. 
right? If, if, if you tell me this, and when I saw it, I say, okay, these guys are crazy. You know, so someone uh, rage quit the company and put this banner to destroy the <laughs> company or something. And after one year and a half being there, you start thinking, okay, maybe these guys actually discover, right, that pushing the, the new people with the paid way, but the yeah. still to the end game is probably way more profitable for them, uh, probably both in monetization and retention, right? So this part that we call a life cycle of a game is something that you really, really, really need to pay attention, right? Mm. What is the onboarding? Okay, we are all, you know, like very embedded in the project. We know how it goes. Make the, make the, the effort, download the game from, from the shop, you know, from the store and play it from the scratch again and see how you feel. You know, and if you feel it's too slow or everything, just accelerate the economy. If there are ways to be friendly. It's very rewarding for the users, you know, and this kind of stuff. And I don't know, other example in Content of Champions, when I started playing, it took me nine months to get my first four stars, nine months of grinding. Uh, right now, you can probably get one between three and seven days, right? So yeah, why mm-hmm. to make people suffer you know, through the first part of the of the game when right now you already have the content to to accelerate that economy so yeah this would be my my advice i love that that's fantastic well francisco this has been so much fun i hope you had a good time too uh hopefully we can definitely uh have you back on on the podcast sometime but uh thank you so much it will be my pleasure next time